With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name, of course, is Scotty Reed. We're broadcasting live from the Black Talk Radio Network. It is Tuesday, March 17, 2015, behind these enemy lines. Of course, we will uh, begin the program by discussing some of the war reports, some of the casualties that's out there. Um, yeah, it, every day we can report, you know, a casualty. I, I can guarantee you that. Uh, actually, in my own county, we had a another casualty. I would say in the past three weeks, in my little town, which I think, well, not my town, but my county, my little rural county, 80% white people. I think we've had like three people in the three past three weeks get killed by cops. So I certainly want to talk about that as we encourage people to be in tune with their local news, their local war reports, so that you can get an idea of the battlefield conditions that exist in the places you lay your head, where you call home. So, uh, yeah, now after we discuss some of the war reports for today, during this first hour, I want to attempt to define who is and who is not an abolitionist. And of course, I'm talking about modern day slavery in, in human trafficking because it seems that question has come up over the past few days uh, on this network. You know, people inquiring in the comment sections if you uh, tuned in to the program yesterday. So there seems to be, you know, some questions out there about who is a abolitionist. Now, here are some logical questions that I came up with. I feel like they're logical. Again, you know, the overall question is who is and who is not an abolitionist and what should abolitionists be doing today? Is there an abolitionist creed? And if not, should one be written? Now, how do you even go about writing an abolitionist creed? Do you perhaps book a hotel or a convention center and hold a convention where you send abolitionists, delegates, if you will, who will work together to come up with an abolitionist creed. Then the question becomes, who picks the delegates, thus deciding the first question, who is and who is not an abolitionist. Now, people are always, I feel like, should be, if they're not, encouraged to come up with their own code, if you will, your own 
you know, book of notes and how you view things, your logical, what we hope is logical conclusions about the system of racism and white supremacy, about slavery, so I feel like, you know, that applies also to abolitionists, you know, that you should have your own code and so in definition. So I came up with my what I feel like is a definition. I kind of stated it yesterday. I'm going to restate it today in case you didn't get to hear yesterday's program. But I define a slavery abolitionist as a person who believes that people are being enslaved both legally and illegally in various forms and work in any capacity towards ending slavery. So that's two, that, that's, I guess you could say, you know, two pieces of criteria that a person will have to uh, believe and be engaged in. They not only have to believe something, but they have to be engaged in, in, in ending what they believe to be one of the most evil ever perpetrated upon human beings. For me, it's that simple. If you believe that people are being enslaved, and when I say legally, I mean constitutionalized, legalized through the 13th Amendment of the Constitution, like it's practiced widely here in the United States of America, leads the world in enslaving people, predominantly non-white people, but that's legal. That's legal. It's wrong. It's evil. But they legalized it after, you know, the Civil War, quote unquote, Civil War, where the South so-called lost the war. But, hey, I wouldn't call it a loss if I get to keep practicing what I was going to war for. And that was to practice slavery against black people. Or it may exist in your country because we, you know, this is a digital radio station, therefore international, and people do tune in from all over the globe, all over the planet, if you will. So it may exist, slavery that is, illegally in your country. Maybe somebody's kidnapping kids and making them go work in these diamond, you know, uh, mining operations for white supremacists, Western corporations. Maybe they're being forced to pick cocoa so that people around the world can enjoy chocolate using that child slave labor. So that that is deemed as illegal. That's recognized by those countries. That's recognized by international law as being an illegal form of slavery. So in my in my mind, in my opinion, I should say that if you recognize that slavery exists, it's that simple, both legally or illegally, and then you work in any capacity. And I, when I say any capacity, I mean any capacity, no matter how people may judge it to be big or how people may judge it to be small. But you have done something towards ending slavery it's that simple for me. Then you are an abolitionist. Now, others may believe that you need to make public proclamations or statements to the public. 
or again, this points to, you know, is there an abolitionist creed? I mean, we can look that up. So, yeah, that's that's what's, um, I'm going to open up the phone lines if you want to comment on that or anything. Actually, uh, we will have a guest during the second hour. We are going to be joined once again by activist, teen advocate, and youth counselor, Mr. Sharif Hamid. He'll be uh, calling in around the second hour, beginning of the second hour at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And uh, we're going to talk to him because he sent me, you know, some communications and he said, you know, these parents out here, they should be informing themselves, informing their families and friends about the super predator myth, which was created in the 1980s by professors at Princeton universities. Of course, sometimes I just, I don't know what it is about me. Sometimes I will just look things up. For no reason, something be like, do a Google search on Princeton University. I bet it, I bet you that's a white supremacist university founded by a white supremacist. But before you can say that or write that, go ahead and look it up. And so, yeah, we got these white professors at some of um, America's most prestigious white supremacist universities, or at least universities founded by white supremacists. So. You know, I think that's a matter of semantics, but they came up with this super predator myth in the 1980s. I remember that. I was a young man, or I should say a younger man, in the 1980s. See, high school, uh, then the uh, just working several jobs as a teenager and then joining the military. So I, I do remember this super predator, hearing people talk about it. I wasn't into gathering war reports at the time, but I paid attention to things. And so this super predator myth, which Brother Hamid says people should be aware of, is having an impact on non-white communities today, primarily black communities. But we must acknowledge the disparities in all communities. It said one of the things that, I mean, this was being hyped during the time by, you know, your 24 hour news cycle back in the eighties, didn't have all these cable channels. You didn't have the internet, Facebook, none of that. But you did have things like 60 minutes, the Sunday morning talk shows and, you know, all the newspapers, the newspapers were still going pretty strong back then. And everybody, you know, all the headlines and talking heads were talking about this super predator report. You know, these little inner city youth, cold word back then for, you know, black kids. Same way, you know, today they're using the cold word thug, but the predator report basically said that the public should be on high alert for inner city youth that will be godless, remorseless, jobless, killers, and worse. This was being circulated. Today, it is still in full force. That is how um, the media operates, what they call the mainstream media, what H. Rap Brown called white people's paper or white people's power or white people's TV. 
it, it's doing the same thing. Because again, this is warfare and propaganda is a major tool of warfare. And, you know, I could do a whole program and just going through the history since the founding of the first television networks and how they worked hand in hand with the Pentagon, with, you know, members of Congress, with whatever administration to sell the American people on the war, even if that meant telling lies. Do a whole program about that. So, you know, this, these things are important. These things should not be overlooked. And Mr. Hamid thinks that parents, I would add, advocates, activists, which most probably do know. Again, this term has been out by the 80s, but maybe some of the younger activists don't know about this term. Today, you know, it's acknowledged. They call it the criminalization of youth, but that's just the continuation of the super predator myth. Same policy designed to do the same thing and wider society is participating. And so this is information that we need to arm ourselves with, arm our children with and let them know. You know, I was thinking about it in terms of a scared straight program. You know, y'all, I I don't know um, if if people have ever seen the YouTube videos that used to come on television where they take these children into these jails. Uh, take them into prisons and then have, you know, predominantly mostly black prisoners yelling and screaming at these children, cursing them, threatening them. And, and that's supposed to straighten these children out and, and, you know, make them not do quote unquote crime and end up in prison, you know, where you're going to be somebody's, you know, boyfriend or or whatever you're going to be subjected to rape so i i thought about it in terms of that but we don't i i'm thinking you know we should have a program called scared straight you know and we just tell them that slavery was never abolished that'll be the basis of whatever program whatever pamphlet whatever we want to get across to people to talk to their children about why they should avoid doing certain things, um, you know, watching how they conduct themselves behind enemy lines because slavery was never abolished and they are trying to enslave you, baby. Okay. They are in China and I'm just trying to keep you from being enslaved. And we know that these laws are a bunch of garbage that they are unconstitutional, they are violating your liberty, but this is not a country that believes in law and order or the very principles it, it professes, it adheres to to the rest of the world. So we don't have to take them to, on the prison plantation. We tell them you don't want to be on a prison plantation. And these are all the ways, all the traps, all the means that they use to put you on a prison plantation. So you should be motivated to learn to read. Parents, you should be motivated to teach your children to learn to read. By three, what, third grade, they should be proficient in reading. Not because somebody says some guidelines, but, you know, because... Reading is how you acquire more knowledge, and that is a a means for you to elevate yourself and go through personal growth. 
but you should be teaching your children to read because we've heard over and over that's one of the qualifiers. If your child can read by the third grade at a certain, you know, uh, sufficient grade level, whatnot, they falling behind me and they already marking a prison cell for your child. And we need to explain that to them in ways that they can understand. Then maybe, just maybe, we can cut down on some of this foolishness where we got our young people in malls attacking, you know, one of their own. Attacking people and stomping them out. And then coming out when they come to your house and perp walk you out in handcuffs and you're smiling like something's funny, baby, they about to put you in slavery. You might be put in prison and subjected to daily rapes. They might put you in solitary confinement, strip you butt naked, hog tied you and leave you laying on that cell floor for two days, begging for water and food. So as much as we can control, we, we need to handle that and make sure that we are conducting ourselves as if we are, because we are in a war zone behind enemy lines. When you're behind enemy lines, you don't want to draw a whole lot of attention to yourself. Okay? That, that's just number one right there. When you operating behind enemy lines, trying to move freely, get to point A to point B and back again without getting enslaved, without getting gunned down on the battlefield. You know, we, we have to train everybody, not just the kids, but some are adults too. Some are adults. I'm going to jump to the first war report. Um, Yeah, I'm going to jump to the first war report. Uh, this just came out. Um, It was circulated on Facebook by Filming Cops, filmingcops.com. It says body cam footage shows police executing mentally ill men with a screwdriver in his hand. And it is just another, ex you know, we've seen this play out all over the country. Mentally ill person who's suffering has a screwdriver. Yes, same exact screwdriver. Get gunned down where you're calling 911 for medical help and they send cops. They don't send trained professionals in mental health. They don't send psychiatrists or psychologists. They, no, no, no. They send the cops. And the cops, how they deal with mental illness is with bullets. That's how they deal with mental illness. They don't, they not trying to disarm you. They not trying to do hand to hand combat because they are not the heroes that they are portrayed to be these big tough guys. Cause if you a big tough guy and it's more than one, let's say three of my buddies and you got a screwdriver. You, you know, you are going to, we're going to take that screwdriver from you, pin you down and do whatever we got to do, handcuff you or whatnot. I mean, it's like this one cop looking at the video just came to, you know, the guy came to the door and like he just immediately had his gun out. Pow, pow, pow. I'm a list. This is just released today. This man is described as a mental patient, Jason. 
Harrison and he was shot by Dallas police officers. Let me see if I can get a date on that. June of last year, June of last year, right before the Black Lives Matter protest kicked off in Ferguson. Miss Jason Harrison is a black person. So this video, I guess, is has just been released and it's very graphic. But I'm going to let you listen to it. It's only about 30 seconds long. It says this video contains disturbing imagery. What's going on? Who's that? Chopping up people in the sun. My pillow sticks up. What's going on? You drop that for me. Drop that for me again. Drop it. Drop it. Drop it. So, there you go. Video footage from the battlefield from back in July. Excuse me, June. During the summer, right before you know, the uh, Black Lives Matter August kicked off, the Black August rebellions that occurred after the killing of Michael Brown. And, and you know, you can see this video. I'm going to go ahead and post it to our Facebook page and also send it out to Twitter. So she, I mean, this is not to criti criticize his mother or anything like that, but just to examine her her words and and what she said to the enemy when the enemy came to the door how what we shouldn't do so it doesn't happen to somebody else we make sure that we're engaging in correct conduct and you know she kind of said that he was in there chopping at people and he's bipolar and he's schizo and she was talking to the cops like you know they were her friends I mean, he, she must've didn't think he was that dangerous cause she turned her back to him. She came out the door first and he came behind her. He had a little small look like Phillips screwdriver in his hand. The next thing you know, here this copy, can you drop that? Can you drop, bam, 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 bam. No attempt to wound, to shoot in the thigh or something like that. No shot to kill, shoot to kill. Because, see, they don't got time to play hero. I mean, they want you to think that, but these aren't tough guys. Two of them couldn't disarm this man who had a screwdriver. Or how about this? How about not being confrontational with someone who you should have gotten a call from the dispatcher and the lady told you that he had mental issues, bipolar schizo. Maybe she should have used words like he has been in and out of the hospital. He has been diagnosed with bipolar disease and, and can be schizophrenic. These are, are medical or yeah, determinations. So you don't want to, you know, upset him or make any Southern movements or yell at him and, and, and things of that nature because you might set him off. And we don't, we didn't call you here to do that. See, I wouldn't have never called them in the first place. 
because of I have the benefit of seeing all these videos of the same thing happening over and over and over again. So I know if I have a aunt in the house or, or somebody, they might be suffering from dementia. They may have, you know, pick an issue. This man, bipolar and schizophrenic. I'm not going to call the police. No, don't do that. Because they're not coming to help. They're coming to harm. We can show you video, video after video, story after story, news story after story, where all these people are getting killed for, you know, most, mostly unarmed, but then armed with nothing, if you want to call it being armed. Hell, he could have been in there putting something together. That's why he had a screwdriver in his hand. I'm not going to make any assumptions. He came to the door. Here the cop is. Taking on his body language was, you know, respect my authority. Put the screwdriver down. You know, it's just like the man who was shot in Gaston County. The uh, 70-something-year-old man, 74-year-old James Allen, I believe his name was, here in Gaston County where I live. In his house, police broke into the house because relatives who lived about 60 miles away had said this. he had just had open heart surgery. He was at home resting, but he wasn't answering his phone, and we we're kind of concerned about him and whatnot. They called the police. They should have drove those 60 miles, but I'm not blaming them. They didn't expect this, but again, if you're paying attention to the war reports, you would re expect this. And perhaps then tailor your behavior and your conduct and think twice before you engage with enemy soldiers. The occupying army. So, you know, the police and the fire department bust up into Mr. Allen's home. Mr. Allen, and it's like close to midnight, thinking someone's breaking into his house. Indeed, somebody was breaking into his house that late at night. I would assume, just like he assumed, that this is a home invasion. He had his little twenty-two, which he legally owned, his firearm twenty-two, and we're told that, you know, they told him to drop the gun, said he wouldn't drop it, and then shot him. We don't know how many seconds passed. We don't know, but what I'm saying is, is you up in his house without a warrant, you can call it a welfare check, whatever you want to call it. You didn't hear anybody in there being attacked or anything like that. Neighbor told you he had seen him the other day. His car wasn't there when you came the first time, and now it's there. So obviously the man will have been out driving. But you shoot him and you want to command him in his house to Drop his firearm? Where is the NRA? Come on now. Fourth Amendment invasion of his house. And then you, you know, you're going to come in and give him some orders. What what uh, crime was this man who you was told was 74 years old, the homeowner, who you were looking for? You know that's him. You should have assured that man that you weren't a robber. You wasn't there to harm him, and I'm backing out the house slowly, sir. Don't shoot. We are the police. No, no, you want to just gun somebody down. 
I got an opportunity. He's got a gun. Oh, he got a screwdriver. Let's shoot him. I've been waiting to see what these rounds, these new rounds they issue, what effect they will have on somebody's skull. Wow. Let me take some video of this and trade it with the boys. Get me a trophy as those L.A. cops were doing. think I might have mentioned Ferguson. My next war report will come from uh, Ferguson. Talked about it a little bit yesterday. We're coming up on a break here, uh, but the stories, like I stated yesterday, the information keeps changing in regards to the alleged shooting of two police officers outside of Ferguson. At this point, I can't tell you. I don't want to say the information hasn't been released or it isn't out there, but I haven't seen it. But I do know from listening to um, people, officials saying that these two cops that were shot in Ferguson in front of the police department were not even Ferguson police officers. So I don't know what they were doing there. Confronting protesters who weren't really protesting, but were there to celebrate the announced resignation of Tom Jackson, the outgoing police chief, one of the key cogs in the racist system of extortion, RICO Act, you know, scheme they set up in Ferguson and, and around. So they weren't there to protest. They were there to celebrate. They were celebrators, not protesters. But anyway, first thing uh, John Belmar, the St. Louis police chief said is that these officers were deliberately target. They were just minding their own business, standing up for the liberties and the freedoms of the people of Ferguson. Oh, yeah, they weren't out there to do that. That's right. But he came out and said they were targeted. Then next thing you know, you got the St. Louis prosecutor saying that Jeffrey Williams confessed this person is 20-year-old black male, Jeffrey Williams, saying he confessed and then saying that he was shooting at somebody else. But then the guy again says, well, he could have been aiming at police officer. We're not ruling anything out. I mean, it just really, it, it just disgusts me to see Bob McCullough on the TV commenting on all of this, any of this. Because I'm sure if you did, and they probably may have, but I'm inclined to believe that the prosecutor of St. Louis County, where all of this racism and white supremacy was being practiced, and all these cops was helping each other from all these little towns to target black people, I, I, I'm sure that this guy knows, know, knew about it. He's trying to feign ignorance and whatnot. Then we saw his little cover-up job in the, in the um, so-called indictment process. So I don't believe anything. I don't know what to believe. Um, I think Johanan was pointing out earlier that you really can't find anyone who knows this guy. The media's reporting they got different addresses for him, but nobody is answering the door. The attorney for the guy, his name is uh, Gerald, might be a female, uh, Gerald 
Christmas, said he does have a girlfriend and she's pregnant. Don't know the two officers' names. Anybody know the officers' names? Again, I don't want to see that they say that their information hasn't been put out there. But who are these two cops? Where are their faces? Where are their police headshots and whatnot? I haven't seen any of that. Now, again, I'm not saying it's not out there. Perhaps you have seen these guys and perhaps you knew, know their names. But just real skeptical about this story. This one story on ABC News uh, website says that one of the cops is, well, both of the cops are lucky to be alive, said one entered into his shoulder and exited, uh, I'm, I should say a bullet, entered one of the cops' shoulder, exited out the back, out his back, said another one was wearing a helmet, but had the face shield up, and he was shot in the cheek. And the bullet winded up behind his ear. But I do know this. It's being reported that within hours, these these two men who were critically wounded are at home. They've been released. Now, I'm not a medic or anything like that. I have never treated gunshot wounds and, and haven't really studied it. So I, I can't tell you how likely it is for someone to get shot in the face. The bullet lodged right behind their ear. Or I get shot in the shoulder and it blows out the back. I, I, I don't know how serious that is or, or, or not. I mean, the police are describing it as very, very serious. Said the guys could have died. Said they could have died. But they're out the hospital awful quick. Again, I, I would like to see these men. Has there been some kind of fun set up for them? That's a good place to see. Let's see if there is a fun set up for these people to raise money for them, just like, you know, was raised for Darren Wilson to help with their medical bills and all that. Does anybody know if there is? I would think that somebody would already have set that up. That is, if they knew who these two non-Ferguson police officers were. You can verify that they've been injured and whatnot in this shooting. So I'm just very, very uh, skeptical, especially coming from a county with actors in place like Bob McCullough, who I know can't be trusted, who I know tell lies and probably should be arrested themselves. Now, of course, they're giving this young man's arrest record, saying in 2013, he got some stolen property and he used a credit or debit card fraudulently. But again, I don't know what these officers' names are, so I can't tell you if they have any complaints of racial profiling, police brutality, if they sicked any dogs on any black kids or not. I can't tell you that because... It's not how, they, how it works. It's not how it works. We don't get to hear all that information. And this kid said, um, I don't mean to call him a kid, but this person, Jeffrey Williams, is said to have lived in nearby Jennings. They had a 2014 county court record for him because, of course, of course they would. Oh, I mean, what? 
all them people that lived in that county, lived in Ferguson. We know from the DOJ report, we're giving tickets and warrants, and I mean, I I I can't even cite the, the statistics right now for you. Like seventy five percent of them living there or the black community had warrants or multiple warrants. I mean, so it's no, <laughs> of course they would have a record of him being a black male, young black male living in a place that you know stops black people for the manner in which they're walking down the street. You know, Daryl Wilson. Darren Wilson, I'm, I mean, told, we're told, you know, that was his issue with Dorian Johnson and Michael Brown. Get out the street. So, yeah. That's the latest on that war report. I don't think anybody else has been arrested. Again, all this conflicting information coming out, I, I, I just really don't know what to make of it so i'm overdue for a break that's your war reports and when i come back on the other side uh we can get into a little bit more of who is and who ain't a abolitionist is there an abolitionist creed who makes the decisions and just all of these questions because depending upon how you define abolitionism you could either say that 21st century abolitionism is making great strides or, you know, they're just, just no movement at all, or it's stagnant. So, yeah, um, those are some of the things that we can discuss. Remember, you can, you know, give me your definition if you so choose. Speak on any of the uh, things that I discuss or any war reports of your own. You can call us at 530-881-14. The participant code is 549-032-POUND. Then you just hit star six and the number one. Really, the lady will prompt you once you just hit pound. She will say if you want to enter the caller's queue, hit star six and one. That's all you got to do. How do you define an abolitionist? Are there hard rules or criteria that one has to meet in order to be classified as an abolitionist. So we're going to take a break. We're going to listen to some uh, Kadir Latif bass and bars. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed broadcasting on blacktalkradionetwork.com. For the prestige, not for me, but to uplift my little brothers who are sleeping in these concrete floors today in America. Black people who are living on welfare. Black people who can't eat.
See, I ain't talking about rims with the fat wheels. Most blacks just rap for a rat deal. I need act for a rat deal. Ain't never touch a gap on your chat like you cat pill. I'm from a city where pigs kill and rats squeal. No bass pro where they go to get their fish nail. No fish fry, they ship it to make that shit sell. So much blow, I swear it could make a ship sell. Yeah. of the police chief, including the disbanding of the entire police department and the resignation of the mayor. Now there are those that are blaming the demonstration and peaceful protesters for the shooting. In days after the University of Oklahoma ousted Sigma Alpha Epsilon from its campus following a viral video of members singing a racist chant, some in the media have found a way to blame the hip-hop community and the culture for a group of young white kids singing about excluding and murdering black kids. You can't make this stuff up. What's your take? Let's talk about it this Wednesday on the Tiny Free and Friends talk show and 24-7 at tinyfree.com. Until next time, be free. And remember to live life with a purpose.
the Tanya Free and Friends Talk Show, your destination for the best in social and political straight talk. Wednesdays at 2 p.m., streaming live on TanyaFree.com and BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Join the conversation Wednesdays at 2 p.m. There's thousands of black cops in America, and you've never seen white folks have to march because some black cops have misused them. Never seen no white people on TV so that black cop shot my son in the head 40 times. Now the question we ask is that because we more spiritual or better trained? No, black cops, no white folks have them tolerated. And when we stop tolerating, it stops. When Marley Graham, they shot him. Alan Blue, they shot him. Ken Chamberlain, they shot him. Kendrick McDade, they shot him. Gary Simmons, they shot him. Bo Morrison, they shot him. Wendell Allen, they shot him. Justin Sip, they shot him. Scared rappers, be quiet. Scared preachers, be quiet. Scared leaders, be quiet. You in the presence of warriors and said, scared rappers, be quiet. Scared preachers, be quiet. Scared leaders, be quiet. You in the war with your face, boy. You can't call this a race war. Cause we the only ones that got hate for to get shot down when the gays war. But we always willing to take more from in Till on that lake floor to Trayvon We'll kill your boy, move me and Troy Yes, we destroy some some public enemy Y'all bring the noise Mercer Alexander, they locked up Jasmine Thar, they shot her They keep trying to kill us But they never get indicted Our people crying loud But these scared rappers stay quiet And if we don't get justice Do we need to start a riot, huh? Do we need to start a riot? Need to start a riot? Do we need to start a riot? Need to start a riot? Do we need to start a riot? Need to start a riot? Do we need to start a riot? Need to start a riot? My name is Henry Keith Watson, and we're at Florence Authority, Los Angeles, California. Uh, today, uh, rest in peace, Rodney King passed away. Here it is, 20 years later. In 92, them rise blue. Peace treaty, ray your life with blue. And now lay the crypts and the power rules. Put aside the fuse and start riding true. To the end, no rivals was behind the two. The police came in to divide the crews. They still a homies caught in driving through. Another gang took them fired a two. Our unity is our biggest weapon. When I ask a question, you feel a threatened. But imagine your child being killed for less than 45 days for the killers arrested. Mad at me, cause I'm giving a message. But if we can get killed by Zimmer Mess, and they can get off cause of privilege. Then all we really citizens get beaten to death, you an immigrant. Go back to your countries and send them in. They call us monkeys, say we ignorant. So we get killed, they don't give a shit. Now what would you do if you was living this? To protect your kids from this. If your child got killed, would you live with it? Would you slit your wrist? Would you get the fifth? Would you care about the job and your benefits? If they said they murdered, what was innocent? No judge, no trial, no sentences. And you saw how foul this system is. But they keep telling us to be patient. They keep telling us to keep waiting. They keep telling us that we hate it. We kill cause we black and we racist. How Morgan, they shot him. This for 40 years, they locked him. They keep trying to kill us, but they never get indicted. Our people crying loud, but these scared rappers stay quiet. And if we don't get justice, do we need to start a riot, huh? Do we need to start a riot? Need to start a riot? Do we need to start a riot? Need to start a riot? Do we need to start a riot? Need to start a riot? Do we need to start a riot? Need to start a riot?
to Black Talk Radio News. My name, of course, is Scotty Reed. Uh, just to wrap up the war report, uh, there was a man shot apparently yesterday in my county, um, not by Gastonia police. Gastonia police, which is the largest city in the county, uh, they killed uh, the black war veteran, uh, Mr. James Allen. That was, again, the city police, but the county police, those are the ones that I see the most because I don't live in the city. So I see county police, the Gaston County police. It was reported uh, shot a man who apparently was on his ride in lawnmower, had called the police or called 911. And when the officers arrived at his house, uh, opened up fire on the officers with his handgun and, and they opened up fire on him and killed him so that just came out i think uh brother robin benton is the one that alerted me to that um so yeah and again james allen was killed in this county and then there was a white female that was killed i don't know uh what the classification of the male that was killed yesterday uh, but there was another white female that was killed right after allen on a quote unquote domestic violence called police with too uh here in this county so those are some of the casualties some of the war reports uh from the past few days uh from the battlefield you know called gaston county i don't know if i should call gaston county about battlefield but certainly uh people are getting killed i can't say that you know anybody is facing what people in ferguson is facing i haven't heard it heard about it Nobody's complained about it. I haven't seen it with my eyes, so I wouldn't go to say I, but I do live in the United States and I got to travel outside this county, you know, sometimes. So I'm still behind enemy lines and I might come across the occasional uh, so-called bad apple. So you got to always, no matter what things look like, they might look like, you know, you're in, in never, never land where black people never get shot. Then next thing you know, they putting you on the gurney. So despite how things look, you should always uh, have the mentality that we live behind enemy lines. So, yeah. Um, again, for me, it's just real simple. And we'll be joined here by Brother Sharif Hamid in just a bit to talk about super predators and what parents and their children need to know about this phrase. Yeah, he'll be joining us. He's an activist, a youth advocate, and a, a counselor. Works directly with young men, and um, I think women as well. So, um, yeah, we certainly want to hear what he has to say, what he wants to relay to people about what's going on in this war, on this war front. I think he also wants to talk about, you know, um, which is something we've talked about on this program in the past, with um uh what's his name um he wrote a lot of books or he wrote a book about the drugging of these kids i can't think of the brother's name right now but anyway i believe brother hamid wants to talk about that as well about you know these uh this so-called hood disease and i remember you know when that report came out something the cdc or researchers are calling hood disease that people or teenagers in inner cities suffer from. So um, are they using that as an excuse or a way in to continue the over-medicating of, you know, vulnerable populations, drug them up and whatnot? 
big farmer, of course, there's always a profit motive. So, yeah, I'm sure they do a lot of racist things just for fun, but they make a profit. They gonna make a profit too. So we'll, we'll, we'll be looking forward to talking to brother Sharif, see what's on his mind about those important issues, but getting back to what is and what ain't an abolitionist. So, you know, I, I did a quick search on an abolitionist creed and I came up with one. Well, actually a couple from 2012. And it's not even talking about slavery. It's talking about abortion. See, that's the kind of stuff to get Max hot and under the collar. You know, abortion, really? Abortion, that's what you call it. And, and you know, what my personal beliefs are, and I'm against abortion. Not ashamed to say that. But at the same time, recognize that I'm not a female. And it isn't my decision. I don't stand in judgment for anybody or, or whatnot. I'm just, I don't practice. I don't participate in abortion. That's how I saw the problem of abortion and, and reconcile my personal belief. I do not participate, but I certainly would not be comparing abortion to slavery. How is abortion slavery? They are not going to use these fetuses to take customer service calls for AT&T. See, just people just come up with some of the most ridiculous notions about abolitionism. So they, I, I guess they're saying they want to abolish abortion. That's how, that's, you know, so he's calling. And then again, so there, lie, there lies the question of what I'm asking. Who, what is an abolitionist? Who gets to decide? Is there an abolitionist creed? This guy came up with one. Let's listen to it. It's only about a minute and 10 seconds. Look like two different people here. Abolitionist creed. Let's see if any of them talking about slavery. My name is Jason, and I am an abolitionist. I wrote this last night as God kind of was stirring in my heart um, what it means to be an abolitionist, and I hope that it uh, encourages and blesses you guys. This is my abolitionist's creed. I am an abolitionist. I have answered the calling to rise up and become a mighty warrior for the defenseless. I will fight the good fight for the innocent lives of unborn children, for they are precious and sacred. My enemy is the powers of darkness and an evil culture that slaughters its children. I am despised by many and understood by few, but my weapons are mighty and my heart strong with courage. I will not back down. I will hold the line for the sons and daughters of this generation. My lips will speak the truth of God with boldness and grace. My hands will tend to the orphans and widows, and my feet will run into battle, for it is truly one of life and death. I will have victory, for through Christ I am more than a conqueror. I will see to it that abortion is abolished in this generation. I am an abolitionist. So that's the same guy who uh, posted to Facebook his abolitionist creed. Um, here is a another person. This is there. Let's see what they're talking about. I am an abolitionist. I have answered the calling to rise up and become a mighty warrior for the defenseless. I will fight the good fight for the innocent lives of unborn children, for they are precious and sacred. My enemy is the powers of darkness and an evil culture that slaughters its children. 
I am despised by many and understood by few, but my weapons are mighty and my heart strong with courage. I will not back down. I will hold the line for the sons and daughters of this generation. My lips shall speak the truth of God with boldness and grace. My hands will tend to the orphans and the widows, and my feet will run into battle, for it is truly one of life and death. I will have victory, for through Christ I am more than a conqueror. I will see to it that abortion is abolished in this generation. I am an abolitionist. So, again, it sounds like he was repeating what the other guy said. They have come up with their abolitionist creed. I, I, I think it would be more accurately described as abortion abolitionist creed, you know. Because there's a difference, as one of these people who commented on this video pointed out, says that you are more like a prohibitionist. My God said it's okay to let women control their own bodies. They are made in her image. Abolitionists always have been identified with the abolition of slavery. That struggle has historically been closely allied with women's fight for full equality and freedom. That includes freedom from warriors in Christ telling them what to do with their reproductive organs. Can you imagine the government telling you what to do with yours? Bet not. Um, yeah. So they go on to write quite a bit more, but this person, and I would agree that when you talk about abolitionism, most people, not all, apparently not all, people associate abolitionism with slavery. So, but technically, these guys are abolitionists because they want to abolish something. Now, again, just to simplify it and answer questions, to me, you know, there are different organizations, and I forgot to mention the name of this guy's organization. He's wearing a short. Um, I think it says uh, Oklahoma. Let me just. Uh, I. The Abolitionist Society of Oklahoma. So they have started a a group, maybe they just put that on a shirt. I don't know if they incorporated or anything like that. They could be just a little informal group trying to spread the message to abolish abortion. But you do have different organizations that have filed papers that are calling themselves abolitionists. And they certainly want to abolish illegal slavery, but they don't pay attention to legalized prison slavery. The traditional evil race-based slavery that has existed on this on on this continent for more probably what three four hundred years five hundred years who know but as a nation it's been practiced for almost two hundred and forty years. So in my opinion, when I'm talking about an abolitionist, I'm talking about a slave person who wants to abolish slavery, and. I'm talking about not sexual, you know, trafficking and stuff. That is slavery, most indeed. I would consider people who work against the sex trafficking of teenage girls and boys, I would call them abolitionists because they're trying to eliminate sexual slavery. I would consider that person an abolitionist. So what I'm saying, I guess abolitionism is a big tent. 
technically it could mean you just want to abolish something and pick what that is. But traditionally, it has always been tied to slavery. And for me, all you have to do is recognize here in the United States that the 13th Amendment, in fact, did not abolish slavery and codified it. And slavery is being practiced, authorized by the state, and work in any capacity to end it, whether that's telling people that slavery was never abolished, whether that is funding a radio program or, you know, any kind of pro program, throwing in your uh, resources to start a protest or hold a rally or anything. You may not be the one to get up on the stage and speak. You might be the one who set the chairs up on the stage, but you are there in support of what is being done. And if abolitionism is being practiced, then you too are abolitionists. If you believe in the mission, I mean, if you believe that the problem exists, that slavery legalized both in, uh, both legalized and eagle, illegal, slavery exists and you do something, anything to try to bring it to an end, then in my opinion, you are abolitionists. Um, do believe we are joined on the line by our guests. We're going to take a short station identification break. And when we come back, we will jump on the phone lines and speak to brother, uh, Sharif Hamid. We're going to talk to him about super predators, among other things. This is Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed broadcasting on the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. tuned in to the black talk radio network for live programming schedules visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com welcome back to black talk radio news um we don't have any calls so i guess you know people are not interested in defining abolitionism or either they agree with the definition um even if you listen to this later on the podcast, you know, feel free to leave a comment. What do you feel, you know, is there a criteria that we have to say for somebody to be considered a slavery abolitionist? Should we come up with a creed? Who gets to write the creed? Who gets to come up with the definitions and all of that? So, yeah, please feel free. Now, at this time, we do want to welcome on Brother Sharif Hamid. Um, how are you doing today, sir? Doing well, brother. How you doing? I'm not going to uh, complain too much. Sitting here kind of hot, though. Hot here, and I don't know where's it, what's it like in your area of North Carolina, but it's pretty hot here. And, um, you know, really haven't fired up the AC. Not already, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, yeah, I'm hot right now. Kind of hot and bothered. Um, so yeah, now where do you want to start brother Sharif? You contacted me and said that people need to know about these super predators, even though that term has been around since the 1980s and, you know, um, 
there are perhaps some people today who've never heard of Super Predator. And so what is Super Predator and how does it impact the lives of black people? So wherever you want to start, Brother Sharif, at first, if you give yourself a brief introduction to the listening audience. Yes, I'd first like to thank you for uh, bringing me on and pro- providing this uh, platform uh, for not just the, the country, but the world, because I know technology is different now. And um, you, Brother Max, and Johan are uh, taking on a topic that not too many people uh, want to tackle with a lot of uh, information. It takes a lot of research to provide the information that you do, so I just want to thank you for not only providing the platform, but giving us tirelessly, giving us that information. But um, nonetheless, um, again, I'm Brother Sharif. I'm a counselor in the school system here in North Carolina. I work with uh, children in elementary and middle school that supposedly have extreme behavior problems, uh, uh, ADHD, uh, which I don't believe is even real. We can talk about that in a, a couple minutes emotional, mental issues, and behavior issues, mostly. As a matter of fact, all my students, I have about 100 students, uh, and that's 100 too many that supposedly have those issues. Um, all of them are black and Latino. Um, I also work at the uh, um, Rites of Passage, which is an African-centered program out of the University of North Carolina Central. Um, uh, we raise the boys up and teach them African principles uh, boys a little older, between the ages of 13 and 18. And earlier this month, I took up a topic, um, message to black youth and the parents. Um, again, message to black name. youth and the parents. Yes, that was the name of the, to- uh, the topic, message to the black youth and parents. So for the first time there, because mostly we um, only address black boys there, but this time we had black boys there learning with their parents and girls were there which was uh, very powerful, which uh, we normally don't do there because it's a program designed for black boys. But um, I just came up with the idea that the boys and the girls needed to hear this message because of the things that have went on historically and going on now, the boys and the girls needed to hear it. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Columbia University just came out with a study that black girls are in worse condition in the school system than black boys they are 10 times more likely to be suspended um, and expelled, well, suspended from school than white girls and 53 times more likely to be expelled than white girls. Those are the statistics. They did that right there in New York, and I know it's the same right here in North Carolina because I have girls that are always in trouble, black girls. So that is a uh, tragedy that's going on at Harley. No one talks about because this, as I said, you have programs for black boys, the Harlem none for uh, for black girls, and we're just trying to give them uh, self awareness and just teaching them about knowing thyself and doing a great service to them. And and the parents need to know it too because just if you go off of today, no matter how many shamrock milkshakes that you drink, no matter how many t-shirts that you wear with uh, shamrocks on, or how many uh, beers that you tip with your friends, you'll never be Irish and they'll never accept you. So that's what we're trying to to teach them. And we took on this topic message to the family and I taught them about a term, like you said, that Harley, uh, 
when I talked to knowledgeable people, they said, I never heard of the super predator myth. They said, what is that? And I actually wrote papers on it um, when I was doing my master's program for, for counseling. And it's a term, like you said, it came out in the early 80s by Professor John Dulio of Princeton University and other uh, uh, scholars and counselors and psychiatrists. And, it, and it's called the super predator myth. I want the listening audience to Google it and it'll come right up. And basically they said that America should be on high alert for a new breed of inner city youth uh, that will be godless, remorseless, uh, jobless, gangsters, gun-toting, uh, uh, just a bunch of uh, gangsters and just remorseless. And we should be on high alert from, uh, for this uh, new breed of youth coming on. And from that, they say we'll create what they call the term crack babies because of these, you know, gangsters and all this and they're just uh, breathing one after another, then they'll turn to drugs, and, and that's where the, the myth uh, crack baby came from, but it's at the root of it is the super predator myth. So from there, I said, what do you do with a youth that supposedly is all this godless and remorseless and jobless? And that's when we went into talking about how the criminal justice system affects us now. I didn't know if you wanted to interject from there. I didn't want to keep talking. Yeah, um, this guy, John, what, how you pronounce his name? Professor John Dulio. Dulio. D-U-L-I-O. Yeah. Out of Princeton, Princeton University. He was the author of it, but it was other counselors, psychiatrists, and psychologists that co-signed on this super predator myth that you don't even need to know. His name is you listen to the audience, just Google's super predator myth. Uh, his name will come up under Princeton University. Right, right. I'm looking at it now. I looked up super predator mm-hmm. theory, and that's all it is, is a theory. It, anybody could say anything and, and call it whatever they want to, but he was a political scientist. Um, he was the first director of the White House Office of Faith-Based and Community Initiatives under President George W. Bush from early 2001 to August 2001 so he didn't even stay as a whole job I mean for a whole year uh, but I mean that kind of tells me then you know a little bit more about him because of he kind of uses re- religion he's using the religion of white supremacy you know the religion of white Jesus to say that these are soulless children basically is what he's saying they don't have any kind of remorse Um, they you know just predisposition to commit crime and, and, and all of that and and then he's selling it under a religious banner as well it's nothing you could do about it they're just they're just you know less than human so yeah super right. predator yeah. Is, is just another term that predates what we now call the criminalization of black people right and at that at that time in the in the 80s is when this uh, um, another, like you said, imaginary theory and imaginary disease started taking birth, which we know now is ADHD. Because in the 80s, um, I was finishing my uh, middle school education. I was just coming out of middle school in, uh, in the 80s, going into the 90s. And I can even remember the uh, only time I had any behavior problems is when I was fighting white supremacy. 
when my classmates was uh, goofing off and worrying about cartoons, which is sort of normal at that time, I was a little more advanced in my thinking because of the upbringing I had with my father and my mother. And um, I remember I challenged the teacher who was saying a lot of racist things. They put me out of class and then sent me into a room with a, a psychologist. Uh, he, he wanted to check me out. And um, when I went home, my dad asked me how my day was. I said, well, it was, it was okay. I talked to some man in the room. He asked me a bunch of questions. And my dad went to the school and said, don't you ever question my son without, you know, without my uh, uh, permission. And that was the first, not with me, but around that time in the late 80s, going back to this super predator myth, of them starting to create a way, a more systematic way to uh, uh, make our children docile through medication and other diseases, saying, see, these children are, are out of control, and not only are we going to find a way to control them out in the society with the, uh, uh, committing more children and referring more children to the criminal justice system, but we're going to criminalize them in the school system, too, and create a, 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 an excuse to uh, make them docile through imaginary diseases like uh, ADHD, oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder, and put them on medication so we can make them docile and further make an excuse uh, uh, to further white supremacy. So it's all connected. It is all, it's all connected. And I see this every, every single day. And like you and other brothers have eloquently uh, explained, you have, you have uh, the criminal justice system lock brothers up left and right for uh, uh, supposedly selling crack cocaine, but rippling, like my brother Dr. Umar explained the other day, is one molecule away from being crack cocaine. So you want to lock them up in the street for selling it, but then you want to uh, um, uh, label them in the school system and then use the same thing you just lock the older brothers and sisters up and put them on rippling, which is one molecule away from being crack cocaine. That's a proven fact. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, there's always that profit motive as well. You know, I'm not disputing anything you say. You say is to make them docile and whatnot and, and dull their senses and, and, and what have you. Um, so I'm not disputing any of that, but I'm also saying there's that profit motive too, because a lot of these children may have Medicaid or, you know, something for the poor now. They may not have nothing. So we, you know, I don't even want to get into how the red states won't expand Medicaid and Medicare or, 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 you know, any of that. So a lot of our people do not even get, uh, mental health treatment unless it is through these school, doctors or nurses and you know who are seeing these children and making these diagnoses without the parents even being present present that that just seems illegal to me but you know um but um there is that profit motive we got to they see those children okay yeah we could just build medicaid you know we've seen lots of medicaid scams around the country involving um, um, you know, um, people, whether they're providing medical services to even doctors and whatnot. So I'm saying, I'm sure this is an element to it as well is just billing the United States taxpayer for all of this medication is expensive medication to dope up these black kids that, you know, it's, it's, you don't even need it. You just trying to make money, accomplish several goals at the same time. So, I mean, your thoughts on that? What about the money aspect? 
Brother Scotty, that is the number one reason. I was just um, uh, uh, going off of uh, what I see on a, a daily basis when I'm in there working with these children, since these are the children that I get. Unfortunately, that's uh, uh, my job to get these children. I try to put a different spin on it. So I was talking about how I visibly see how this medication makes them docile. So what you just mentioned is the absolute number one reason for it because that's how white supremacy works. They look at everything as a cash cow. That's what uh, slavery was about. Them bringing us here was for a profit for this country. They can bring us here to uh, uh, to be successful, to be on an equal playing field with them. They brought us here as a cash cow for them, and they're still making a cash cow off of us. They just do it in a slicker way with creating myths and diseases and causing high alerts amongst people to justify what they do. But they make billions and millions of dollars. I spoke about it. I've actually spoke about it in the last lecture that I just talked about in North Carolina Central, the millions of dollars of prescriptions that they make off of um, uh, Ritalin and Adderall. Now they're changing the name of the medication. They just came out with a new medication called Metadate 30. And I have students just almost every day come up to me saying how it messes uh, with their uh, appetite. I don't feel like eating. So how are you going to learn if you don't even feel like eating? A 10, 11-year-old boy should get up in the morning and want to eat. He shouldn't uh, not want to eat. Um, but that's uh, some of what these medications are doing, but the profit is, is astronomical. And then they make a, they create the atmosphere for the parent, which is the flip side of this, the other dark side of this coin, coin for them to make a profit off of it. If they get to, if they have two, three, I have caseloads, or I have two, three brothers and sisters in my, on my caseload. It'd be four or five brothers and sisters, and all of them are, are my students. You so mean biological them, brothers and sisters? Biological brothers and sisters. I have one, I'm not going to say the name for confidentiality. It's about four of them. One in kindergarten, one in second grade, one in third grade, and one in fourth grade. And they've all been diagnosed with ADHD and bipolar. And if you get what you call a dual diagnosis, you can get a, a what they call like a double indemnity on your a social security check. So imagine a, a woman that has three, four children and she's getting a social security check for three or four children. Thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand a month just on that alone. So that's like bribing that's like a kickback to the parent to put them on to put their kids on on these right. drugs. Right. So how do you want to argue with a single mother it is very hard and it's nothing wrong with these children. That was my main message when I was talking to the parents. That's what I told them. I said, Nothing wrong with you. The only thing that may be wrong with you the circumstances you're in, but there's nothing wrong with you as a child. But I have mothers that say, you know, uh, you know, what's going on with my son? You know, the ones that care that uh, come up there. So there's nothing wrong with your son. Oh, yes, it is. He needs that medication. So they're wow. looking at the, you know, the financial uh, part. Of yeah, and, and, and that's, I feel like poverty being exploited. I know there are some people out there, how can parents do something like that? How can they exploit their child like that? Well, we live in a system of racism and white supremacy. Poverty is widespread. And so, you know, uh, there are people who do some very extreme things, things that you wouldn't even think about doing. 
you know, because you have a job or whatnot, or you're able to feed yourself and clothe yourself. So you don't need that money. You, you don't see yourself as needing that money. So no, I'm not going to go out here and get 4,000 a month, uh, just to allow the system to dope my kids up and have them walking around in the days and, 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 you know, whatever, whatever the long term effects, you know, may be. Well, you know, we'll cross that road when we get there. So, you know, I do want to say it is the responsibility for people to not exploit their children, no matter how much poverty they living in. I mean, that's easy for me to say that. That's the correct thing to suggest is that people don't participate. But again, I'm not starving. I'm not being forced right now to go stand on the corner in some Daisy Dukes and try to attract, you know, some dude or female to you know pay me for sex i mean it is that hard out here it is that bad out here a report just came out the other day that one in three families i think are you know are um in poverty in this country i had to pull up that report to get the direct statistics the latest statistics but um again this is how the system operates man it it, it for all we know they could be using giving these kids running an experiment on the long-term outcome of use of these drugs. We don't know. And it's been done before. So, you know, we do have to stress that to people. But at the same time, you know, if, if a mother, um, is doing that to get money, I mean, how do we, how do we talk to them and stop that? Do we provide them with other resources or, I mean, how do you have that conversation? You the counselor. Right. It's, it's a very, it's a very difficult and, um, uh, touching topic because a lot of these parents already um, have their mind made up and they may look at someone uh, like me as an authority figure who's trying to judge them so they already have their defenses up um, so all we can all we can do is provide solutions and alternatives uh, to, to that lifestyle or that option like I'm a part of the rights of passage we try to prevent these boys you know uh, from being labeled uh, we have uh, family uh, counseling. We try to provide uh, services uh, for the parents that try to get them out of the situation that they're in. Um, a part of uh, what we call the New Community Center, which is ran by a wonderful brother by the name of uh, Brother Simon uh, Lee. I would love for him, uh, Bendelli Lee, I would love for him to come on this uh, program. He, uh, he has a community center right here in Norm, and it's for the community. We're working currently trying to provide services mainly for our youth because we know that they're uh, the future. If, if someone can just pick one family or one young man or one sister under their uh, wing and try to guide them the right way, you know, um, that's, you know, that's a start. Uh, but that, that's basically, you know, all we can do. But how, you know, for, again, those parents that they say that they absolutely need this money, I'm going to get that money. My child is sick or whatnot, so we got to accept there's going to be some few people who do that out of desperation or just flat-out ignorance and don't care, you know, uh, there are people like that out there. But so how, you know, from what you described, the way I've heard it described, from what I've read, this is all institutionalized. This is on an institutional level. So for since we can't rely on appearance alone because some of them may be addicted to getting that money, and, um, you know, they like the way these drugs make, you know, little Jimmy just go sit in the corner somewhere in the days and whatnot. So how do we attack it institutionally? 
you know, where, where this isn't widespread practice. You're talking about in the in the school system? Yeah, in the school system. If it's a group of parents, let's say that, you know, I want to raise this concern at the next school board meeting or whatnot. How do I attack it? How do I educate other parents and say, hey, this might be something, I mean, is there a way or is this all mandated by the state or the Department of Health and Human Services and whatnot? Should people, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm just spitballing here. I don't work in that industry. I don't know how everything works. So, you know, what insights might you have? You know, what mm-hmm. avenues should people take to uninstitutionalize this practice of drugging kids? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a great, um, that's a great. Uh, question. Um, unfortunately, for the most part, that has to be something done from the outside because from the inside, like counselors, social workers, psychologists, and psychiatrists, remember when we were coming up, uh, uh, Brother Scotty, we didn't have all this outside uh, influence in the school system. We basically had your teacher, the principal, the assistant principal, the people working in the cafeteria, and maybe a guidance counselor. Now you have all these outside uh, services, psychologists, psychiatrists, behavior specialists like myself, all these counselors, and things have gotten worse, but 98% of all those people uh, providing them services are brainwashed to think that this is the solution to the problem, meaning medicating the children, labeling the children that they're defiant, out of control, part of the super predator myth. So... I have sat in these, these meetings uh, where the, the parents aren't uh, um, necessarily invited to these meetings, and they'll go down the list and say, this, this child is a problem. This child is a problem. And did he take his medication? And these you know, young people coming out of school, they're already brainwashed through these white schools to believe that this is the solution to the problem. So it's almost a waste of time to try to fight it from within because that is the mindset. Now they're brainwashing the teachers. And and that's why this uh, topic is so complex because a lot of our children's behavior is just totally unacceptable. I mean, I have to admit it. It's totally unacceptable because a lot of factors at home. So now they're feeding into some of these predator myths and other things because of their behavior. So now the teacher, because she or he, most of these women, are so worn out uh, by the behavior of the children, their first solution to these issues is, yeah, this child needs medication, which connects to most of the referrals for a child to be put on medication is comes from a teacher, which is illegal because a teacher is an educator. They're not uh, trained in mental health. But if you ask the average family, the average mother, grandmother, who's taking care of a child child on medication, it wasn't Aunt Betty or Grandma Gertrude that uh, that, uh, made the recommendation for them to be put on medication. Almost all of them would say it came from the school system. It came from a teacher. So the teacher is making a referral because a lot of them, even through racism, the white teacher uh, uh, already got, got it out for these black boys or boys or girls coming in here with this bad behavior, the first thing they're going to say is, yeah, they got ADHD. They need medication. So it's almost impossible to fight it from within. It has to become from out in the, in the community, doing things like what, what, what you're doing, uh, the community center that I'm a part of, the rites of passage, 
we have to educate them from that end and let them know the side effects of these medications, the, the historical connection of, of, of the plan that they've been planning for years and how it's leading these children right into the criminal justice system because the medication makes them angry, it makes them sleepless, gives them suicidal ideation. This is the side effects of the medication and it's connected right to what's going on now. So to answer your question, I hope I answered it, fighting it from within because I'm in the school system every single day and it is not one school, I work at several schools and I have several students at each school fighting it from within a lot of these schools that have black teachers, they are of the mindset that this is the solution. Meaning medication, these children are out of control and they're about hopeless and this is the only solution uh, uh, to handle these children instead of getting to the root of the problem. So it has to come from programs like what you have and out in the community and going in this community and um, trying to uh, educate our people because doing it within the school system is it, almost impossible because that is their mindset. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. Our guest today is Brother Sharif Hamid. If you have any questions for him, um, please call us at 530-881-1400. The access code is 549-032-POUND. Do you have any similar stories to tell? Are you an educator? Do you work with these youth? Do you think that there is uh, over-medication? Do you see that in the school you work in? So um interested to hear what the listeners have to say um that's 530-881-1400 extension code or access code rather 549-032 pound and just follow the directions to get your comment on air we're going to take another break and, and come back and con- and continue this conversation and brother Sh- uh hamid i want to shift to the hood disease because i remember covering this report and i pulled it up again and in a way, I do not disagree um, with, I may disagree with calling it hood disease because they have like an anti-black connotation to it. But what they're describing as being um, hood disease is really just relabeling post-traumatic stress disorder. And I certainly have talked about, and others, many others have talked about the, the uh, emotional and psychological impact racism, white supremacy has on a person. And like I state, you know, I come on the air, I give battle reports of casualties out there on the battlefield. And, you know, I say we live on a, in, uh, behind enemy lines and there is a war going on. And, and, you know, we are seeing this, uh, manifest itself. And I think they're just trying to name it, trying to give it a name, you know, and, and, you know, come up with this racist suspect name, calling it hood disease, which does have an anti-black, uh, connotation to it. But does the report itself hold any water about our inner city children suffering psychologically due to factors that are, um, not found in other parts of the country where other children are not suffering, you know, from these external, uh, influences on their mental health you're again you're listening to black talk radio news with scotty reed i'll be back on the other side
This is Brother Elliot. First of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. And welcome back. My guest is Brother Sharif Hamid. Again, he's a activist, youth advocate, counselor, and we are talking to him about some of the things that are impacting uh, black children. Now, I, I know earlier you were mentioning, you know, that there are reports coming out saying black females in school or black girls have it worse in terms of certain, you know, criteria like expulsions and, and you know, whatever disciplinary action are faring or doing worse uh, in school than black boys. And so, you know, I don't even look at it like that. Um, I, I know, you know, these reports come out and I'm not saying they shouldn't be done, but my contention is the entire black family is suffering under racism, white supremacy. Grandma got problems. You know what I'm saying? Daddy got problems. Mommy got problems. Uh, the children got problems due to racist practice and patterns all across the United States. So, now, uh, so yeah, that's the way I look at it. I don't even try to get into the gender specific things, but I mean, I do appreciate the information, you know, but we do know that women, black women are becoming a frequent target for the prison plantation, you know, to be prison slave labor. Your numbers are going up. Your, your percentages are increasing drastically, you know, so, um, yeah, it is important because, you know, you do have these feminist groups out there and they claim that they are fighting on behalf of, of females and, you know, that gender. And, but they are terribly silent on these issues when it refers to, uh, uh, relates to prison slavery and the mistreatment and brutalization of women in prisons. And, uh, and when it comes to these black girls, uh, being expelled. So where is ultraviolet and all the other feminist movements? You know, we sure could use your resources and your voices to uh, point out um, these issues that are impacting uh, black females in a negative manner. So, um, yeah, uh, just to let y'all know, um, there is a program coming up after this one. Uh, the Tando radio show will be on air live six o'clock or thereabout. They will talk about the system of lies and deceivable means and measures. So make sure you tune in to um, after this program to the Tando radio show hosted by brother David Ryan. Now let's get to the, this report. Unless you wanted to comment on something I just said there, uh, uh, brother Sharif, I want to give you a chance to respond. Oh no, you, you're absolutely right. And that was the main reason that um, I pushed for um, to look outside of the box of what we were doing there to write the passage, even though it's a group. Brother uh, Sharif, if you if you could speak up, man, you are getting lower and lower, and you already have are soft spoken, so it's kind of hard for the listeners to hear. You gotta be conscious of your voice and uh, keep it up. Okay, can you hear me better now, brother? Yes. Okay, I, I was saying I agree with you one hundred percent about um, um, not breaking up. Um, our issues, and that was the reason I pushed for us to go outside of the box um, there at the Rites of Passage, even though it's a group primarily for black boys. That's why I pushed it and, and named the title of the, uh, the Black Family, um, because 
um, I have spoken before about the struggles of, uh, of black girls and black women in some of the different areas uh, that you talked about in the, in the prison system, in the school system. If one part of the family, just like if one part of the body is suffering, the whole body is uh, suffering. So, you know, trying to break it up and say this is that problem and that's that problem. No, if one is suffering, then the whole family is suffering. So I agree uh, uh, with that context and the way you put it, you know, 100%. Let's jump to this um, report. Um, I'm looking at this article on SanFrancisco.CBSLocal.com. It came out actually in 2014, May of 2014. That wasn't that long ago. I do remember this report on quote-unquote so-called hood disease, and I even talked about it. I'm going to see if I can get this video uh, to play. Maybe um, that might assist us in getting an understanding. Well, tonight, 60 years after the Supreme Court banned segregation, many schools are still separate and unequal. A new UCLA report says more than half of Latino students in California go to schools that are 90% minority. In other states, black students are seeing more segregation than they have in decades. And now, many kids in the inner city are suffering from something you would never expect. Wendy Takuti is here tonight uh, with a new health and psychological problem that teachers have been seeing a lot. Wendy? They have been. Even the Centers for Disease Control says that these kids often live in virtual war zones. And doctors at Harvard say they actually suffer from a more complex form of PTSD. Some call it hood disease. Unlike soldiers, children in the inner city never leave the combat zone. They often experience trauma repeatedly. You could take anyone right, who is, who is experiencing the symptoms of PTSD, okay, and the things that we are currently emphasizing in school will fall off their radar because it frankly does not matter in our biology if we don't survive the walk home. In Oakland, about two-thirds of the murders last year were actually centered in East Oakland. Fifty-nine people killed. These teachers and administrators know that problem firsthand. They graduated from Fremont High in East Oakland and have gone back there to work. These cards that they're suddenly wearing around their neck that say, rest in peace. You have some kids that are walking around with six of them, laminated cards that are tributes to their slain friends. It's depression, it's stress, it's withdrawals, it's denial. It's so many things that is encompassing embodied in them. And once somebody pushed out one button where it can just be like, please go have a seat. And that could be the thing that just sets them off. Last year, there were 47 recorded lockdowns in Oakland's public schools. Again, almost all in East and West Oakland. And then the car came this way and they started shooting and driving. These kids at Fremont High showed us where one classmate was shot. If someone gets shot that they knew or they cared about, it's, uh, as Marquis said, they're going to they're gonna be numb. If someone else in their family got shot and killed, there will be, there will be sad, there will be isolated, because I have been through that. And gun violence is only one of the traumas or stressors that occurs in concentrated areas of deep poverty. It's kids are unsafe, they're not well fed, and when you start stacking those kinds of stressors on top of each other, 
that's where you get these kind of negative health outcomes that seriously disrupt school performance. We'll have more on some of the solutions tomorrow at 6 o'clock. This story is part of the Equity Reporting Project, which is a year-long effort. But it's amazing because when you when you think about it, I mean, school is like way down here. It's surviving. Uh, right. It's it living is way up here. Survival. Yeah, school yeah. takes a back seat. No, and it's it's. All right, we we are going to stop it there again. That was um, a report that came out in May of last year, and I don't think the name of the report is actually Hood Disease. I think just some of the research searchers or other people who talk about the report have called it that but certainly i think the the name is is kind of racist it is racist hood disease it, it, and it's inaccurate because that you know usually a hood is associated with urban areas i bet you if you went to ferguson right now and you know trained psychologists and whatnot talk to these children um in ferguson talk to the youth in ferguson that they will find that they suffering pt from pts D as well. I would say that in not just the youth, but all the children. I mean, excuse me, the entire community from grandma on down, you know, being stopped and frisked all the time, ticketed all the time, jailed. If you don't have the money, everything that was described in the Department of Justice report. Do you not think those people are suffering from this battlefield, you know, conditions that exist? Really, I think they do. I mean, post-traumatic stress disorder. You are stressing me the hell out with your racism and white supremacy. So I think a lot of people can be diagnosed with this. And it's something that needs to, and I think I could be wrong, but I think I have read something about the people who put together the DSM or, or recently said that, you know, racism, white supremacy can cause depression. So I don't yes, know your thoughts. In the recent DSM, they tried to take out that uh, um, black people cannot use uh, PTSD and connect it to racism because they know a lot of black people, whether they admit it or not, are affected by historical and present-day systematic and systemic, you know, racism. So, like you said, um, you know, having these stressors and factors going on in our neighborhood is undeniable, but it goes back to what, what Malcolm said. He said, you could stop this overnight if you wanted to. Stop bringing the drugs in. Stop letting the youth have uh, access to Glock 9s and powerful weapons. Give these young people equal jobs. Stop sending our people to prison and not letting them, who are people who have made mistakes, come out, and then you condemn them for life where they cannot get themselves back on track. And, and have a, a, a viable uh, a lifestyle where they don't have to sell drugs, this can be cured overnight. So that's what they do. They cause the problem, and then they want to come up with the solution. But their solution to this supposed hood disease is none of those solutions is going to go back to what I just said because I'm in the school system. Since you heard what they said, it's going to disrupt their learning. So if they have this disease who's signed off by the CDC and all these other universities, what they're going to do and what they've been doing is saying, well, they'll just come out with another medication to help with their PTSD, and we know what that's been doing for us. So that's my objection to I heard, not coming up with a solution. Well, I heard, well, I don't even want to get into discussing, like, medications and things of that nature, but uh, getting back to 
these children. So they have all these different stressors. And one of the main stressors is they hungry. And so it said that, you know, it talked about the poverty and this new report that came out says one in three U.S. families are classified as working poor minorities, quote unquote, more so. And so, you know, Russia Today came out with this article. It says almost a third of American families are low income, a third with racial and ethnic minorities far more likely to be poor, according to a new report. Activists advise more education, training, health, and child care to close the gap. Well, all that stuff is going to cost money. And darn it, they're tr- right now trying to increase the budget and provide more money for fighting wars. You know, got to go over there and fight, you know, uh whatever country that is that they're having this dispute with Russia. You know, got to be just all over the Middle East, hundred and something bases all over the world coming up with these, you know, Star Wars-like weapons, spending billions of dollars and, and, and all of that. So, like you said, this could be ended yesterday. This could be ended yesterday. You you know how much food is wasted in this country? But again, you know, these people are expected to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Never mind the fact they live behind enemy lines. Never mind the fact that uh poverty produces violence, you know, um, so they got to be worried about being victimized by people who look like them in, in these poverty crimes. But then the police, the police, the patty rollers, the slave patrollers is coming and they're gunning down people, you know. And and so then they're hungry. Their schools are have been failing and designed to fail. And again, so, I mean, all of these things... I'm not breaking any news here. We all know the primary problems, poverty, hunger, health care. They're just basic needs that are not being met for a lot of people in this country that this country at any time could decide it wanted to meet those needs. And it's just not happening. So how do we make it happen? How do we make it happen? Some of our elders responses in the 60s was to create breakfast programs and food pantries and things of that nature not government sponsored relying on the government but you know getting people businesses in the community to contribute to help take care of the poor so this is a key element of this and again it's all designed to then put you into what some people call greater confinement i'll call enslavement where then you know you will get three three hots in a cot while you working to produce profits for you know other people so i mean you got any thoughts oh yes um i mean it's self it's self-empowerment i mean we're we're responsible for ourselves and and, and contributing to someone wanting a 65 million dollar jet isn't going to do it we have to put our, our uh, rub our pennies together again to programs like what you have community programs who are uh, truly there uh, for the community and create jobs and opportunities for each other and support the businesses that are there. I still don't think that we have that. I still people here say, well, brother, so-and-so's prices are more or whatever the problem. I'm not going across town. No, make that, make that sacrifice make that sacrifice and these are things i'm not just talking these are things that we are, are working on right here and doing with the community center that i'm a part of and the rites of passage is creating opportunities uh for the youth and, and just trying to keep their head 
above water. They keep them there in prison and in all these juvenile detention centers. I mean, the, the, the system got them. So it's just a fight just trying to keep them, you know, uh, out of trouble and keep their head above water, more or less creating opportunities. But everyone has to have their hand in a pot one way or another to reverse uh, uh, the situation that we're in. But it all comes back to uh, self-empowerment and improvement and economic empowerment, you know, like you said, even if it's uh, something small. That's where that's what it uh, boils down to, brother. You know, my uh, assistant, Sister Cece, shout out to her, is trying to uh, set up an interview with this organization who's the name of, the name of the organization slips my mind right now, but what they engage in is urban farming, you know, urban gardening. And that's certainly not a new ideal, but I think that um, given these reports, we know people are going hungry and whatnot, that this is something that... um, community organizations need to invest in and then individuals themselves is learn how to garden and when you're in the urban area you have to be careful uh because that soil has to be tested it may have all kind of lead and other poisons and whatnot in it because they used to be industrial centers and and you know that all that that corporate waste is in the ground so it may not be healthy for you to grow tomatoes or something in the sea. So you got to make sure you got good soil, but it seems like, you know, we really, really need to expand these community gardening programs. And not only that, you know, a chicken for every family, you know, or two chickens for every family where they can get, at least get protein like eggs produced by this chicken and, and whatnot. I mean, sir, I, I'm I, some people might think I'm being silly, but I'm not being silly. I'm not being silly. You know, on Tando Radio Show, they talk a lot about emergency preparedness and things of that nature. People need to be getting prepared and doing these things, buying seeds and and learning, you know, how to garden and and raise food, raise rabbits, raise chickens so that you can feed yourself. Because right now, you know, the grid is still operational. The grid hasn't gone down. There hasn't been a natural disaster, but it's a lot of people out there hungry that are not getting any food. So that's a natural disaster in itself. That's a lot. We're talking about tens of million of people hungry, going hungry in this country, which leads to crime. Certainly hunger leads to quote unquote crime. Cause if I'm hungry, I'm gonna rob you. I'm gonna stand outside of Jack in the box, wait for you to come out with your big bad food. And I'm gonna snatch it from you. And I'm gonna go running somewhere to I can eat. You know, and and not, you know, so, yeah, I mean, all of these things are interconnected, but, you know, that is drastic. That is just very drastic to think about how many hungry people are in this world. And it just makes me that much more grateful, you know, that I am one of those persons that can count on a meal every day, at least a meal. I may not get three meals a day, but I'm at least get a meal a day. I feel very blessed and grateful for that, you know. So, yeah, um, just lots of solutions that we can implement. And again, you know, Tando Radio Show, they talk about different uh, various topics, but I always pay attention when they start talking about those survival programs, you know, putting up rice, you know, buying an extra bag of rice and putting food up. And, and, and you know, well, why, why can't we buy an extra bag of rice and then, you know, somehow we come together with other people whether it's our church or motorcycle club or whatever, 
and just doing food drives, man. That stuff is really, 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 really needed, and people shouldn't be going hungry in this country. We know it's being purposely done. These aren't lazy, shiftless people. These are people who have been miseducated in a system of racism, white supremacy, uh, um, you know, racism and white supremacy practicing in employment. You know, I, I don't have to cite all the studies, but they've been done. We've talked about them over the long haul of this station's existence. So, I mean, it's it's really bad out here, people, for a lot of people. And before it gets that bad for you, you might want to pitch in and, and help others. And in the process, help yourself. Yes, sir, brother. And I can attest again with me being in the school system and having so many students to the the, uh, the hunger issue and then going back to what we were talking about earlier about how all our problems are uh, inter, interconnected. I have children that come to um, my group sessions and say they haven't eaten. And then once I do further investigation into their situation, I find out there may be a mother who has never gotten in trouble with the law before, but now she's catching misdemeanor charges because she's caught up in truancy court. Um, that's a new thing that I've been working on. You know, she may have two or three boys that she can't handle by herself, and because they have missed um, uh, X amount of days, now she's caught in truancy court. And if you go to truancy court here in Durham, it looks like little Africa. See so many black people in there. Now she gets a misdemeanor charge on her record because her The mother does? Missed, uh, excuse me? Who gets the charge on their record? The child? The, the, the mother. The mother does because she's responsible for their children. I, I actually have several children and working with the mothers on it now. And now she has a misdemeanor charge if she can't pay those exorbitant amount of uh, uh, fines that they get if they don't, if they're missing so many amount of days of school. Now she gets a misdemeanor charge and then she is getting food stamps and got several uh, family members at the house. Now they're not eating. I've seen it just snowball, just one thing lead to another, to another, to another, all behind things that they can they can solve these problems, but they make one problem into another problem into another problem. So now these some of these children, they say, well, I have, you know, uh, all these different family members at the house, you know, so whatever food that was there for three or four, now they got seven or eight family members there. I mean, how how much food can stretch if you got five or six boys and two or three girls and one or two adults and they're and they're not eating and they tell me this all the time but so much you know that i can do these are uh problems that are going on you know right before our eyes that a lot of people aren't talking about but uh, that's a conversation within itself the amount of charges that uh single black mothers are catching behind truancy court because they can't pay the fines because the the children, you know, are missing a certain amount of days. Someone say, oh, they need to go to school. Yeah, but you don't know the reason why they're not going to school. We don't We don't know. we got to get to the root of it. It's just causing other problems. That sounds like a good opportunity for you to write an article about it, man. Maybe you should do that. I will publish it since you have this inside, you know, you're seeing it happen. I mean, it doesn't have to be like a scholarly article. A lot of times just getting out of, inf you can get out a lot of information in 300 words or less and just letting people know. So I would encourage you to do that, man, to write about it. Cause like you said, nobody's talking about it. So let's start the conversation. Definitely. But it's, um, I'm sure 
it's a lot of mothers that can attest to it. Now, it was just brought to my attention the end of last year because uh, a young lady approached me, said she heard about how I work with black boys, and her boy uh, uh, just stopped, he just stopped going to school. So once I started working with him, he's only in about the sixth grade. He just entered uh, middle school. And I started working with him, found out he just real depressed because his father isn't in his life, and he just, you know, stopped going to school. Then once I started talking to the mother, she told me how she was jammed up in truancy court, you know. And I've had other mothers, and I was like, you know, I've heard of truancy court, but I didn't know it was that deep. They started getting a $200 fine and a $400 fine, and you don't pay it. Then they put, uh, uh, you know, uh, other fees on top of that. Same thing again. That, the practice, the practice and patterns we saw in Ferguson. Yes, yes, and then he got a misdemeanor charge because, and it just gets worse. I said, man, this is. Man, well, this brother, is brother Sharif, we gotta get out of here. Can you tell yes, people um, how they can get in contact with you if they live in the Durham area or somewhere in North Carolina and they would like for you to come speak to their group? How can people reach out to you? The best way is just to, to call me, uh, area code 919-265-4119. Again, that's 919-265-4119. Or you can hit me on Facebook, Sharif, S-H-A-R-E-E-F, Hamid, H-A-M-E-E-D. Or email me at Sharif, I is an ice, dot Hamid at gmail.com. All right, thanks for stopping in with us today, Brother Hamid. Uh, as always, man, you stay safe out there and you keep up the great work, man. We will be thanks. in touch. Peace and blessings thanks. to you. Thanks for having me, bro. All right, that was our interview with Brother Sharif Hamid. Stay tuned as Tando Radio Show will be coming on here in just about a couple of minutes. Um, I will be back on air uh, broadcasting Wednesday night, tomorrow night, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, the uh, New Abolitionist Radio. I'll be back on air with another episode and hopefully a guest or two on Thursday with an episode of Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed. Peace and blessings to all y'all. Be safe out there because we do indeed live behind enemy lines. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.